Welcome back to another episode of a podcast written by a software engineer. I'm your host, Perry, and today we're going to be talking about all the different kinds of software engineering. Um, well, specifically, all the different kinds of software engineers, because even the term itself, when somebody says, oh, I'm a software engineer, um, I guess for most of the crowd, it kind of gives you an idea that they kind of work in tech and they, they work with computers uh, for most of the time. But for the people that are you know more passionate about getting into software engineering and actually kind of like choosing a path into becoming a software engineer, um, a lot of times uh, you kind of want to figure out uh, what exactly, uh, which platform or which you know front end, back end, or database you want to get into. So I think today is a great opportunity to talk about that, uh, just because there's so many different kinds of engineers out there. I've already listed a couple of examples, but uh, hey, let's discover more about it. I'm actually joined with uh, Andy and Stan today. Yo, Andy, how are you doing? What's up? And how about you, Stan? I'm good. And the thing is, like, we. For the past couple of years, we've all been working as software engineers, right? And uh, we have been exposed to different types of software engineers as we work. Um, and yeah, I think today's opportunity is mostly going to be our impression of like what we have seen in companies, what have been effective, what have been not effective, uh, what are the crucial roles of, t- of engineers that you know some companies need, and even to begin with, what we consider ourselves as, because. A lot of times, like, uh, if, you know, whatever, I have, like, family members asking me what kind of engineer I am, or, like, other people are more interested of what I do day-to-day, um, I'd love to, you know, be able to elaborate more on than just saying, I'm a software engineer. I'd love to talk about, oh, I'm specifically, you know, uh, dealing with the front-end part of this application. So this is, like, the clarification we're kind of seeking uh, as we talk about these different kind of software engineers. So, um yeah, I mean, let's let's definitely kick into it because that's going to be always fun. I think the, the the first thing we could talk about is uh, when somebody asks you, like, "Hey, like you're a software engineer, but like, what exactly? Like, what exactly do you do as a software engineer, or how would you call yourself? What type of engineer would you be, Stan?" Um, if I had to classify classify myself, I'd probably consider myself a bit of a generalist. I I've done a little bit of everything, DevOps. I work with databases, a lot of work on the back end, some front end work, but I, I tend to kind of gravitate towards more back end tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe a little generalist with a little bit of specialization in back end systems. Yeah. yeah, I feel like that's quite a fairly common thing to see. I think the term people would use if you're touching a bit of back end and front end, they'll probably call it as like a full stack. Mm-hmm. So that'll be, I guess, one of the terms that you probably even see, like job boards, for example, to be like a full stack engineer. And it's basically a synonym as we're describing a generalist but it's also not surprising that some people would have that you know specific specialization or that specific interest or that specific like extra thing gravitating towards one or the other so that's a really interesting take to it what about you Andy what, what would you say if when people ask you uh you know describe what kind of engineer you are what kind of software engineer you are yeah I think I'd basically say the same thing as uh Stan I'd say that I'm a uh, full stack engineer um I have worked in roles uh, where I've done full stack stuff but right now like I, fo- I definitely focus more on the uh, back end right now yeah and that's totally reasonable because it depends on the task that you get given mm-hmm. most of the time and uh if you end up working on a project that has no customer facing and you don't have to build any ui then that's 100 100 reasonable to be uh you know saying that um yeah i can speak for, uh, for myself sorry in terms of like my experience uh, throughout these past couple of years is that uh Working for all these different companies, I feel like I've definitely touched all across the stack. So it's fair to say that uh, most of my tasks were pretty much full stack, having to you know build APIs, having to build UIs for for patients, having to you know deal with database, making sure that we actually query the right data. But um, I think something that uh, I personally do enjoy doing as well is whenever there are questions about designs or even just making the user experience 
more seamless. Uh, that has, you know, at times been a very important task that I've been tasked to do during these uh, companies. So having that extra, you know, uh, emphasis on working on the front end bit has been the more recent uh, responsibility. But I think throughout the past couple of years, like being full stack and touching all of it is probably quite reasonable to des describe, sorry, what kind of engineer I've been <laughs> for the past couple of times. Do people even like talking about what kind of engineers they are? I don't know what's the thing. Like, I'm obviously like a geek and like I talk about like these kind of stuff a lot. But I know if at a party, for example, somebody asks you like, oh, what kind of software engineer are you? Are you happy to talk about like, you know, specifically if you touch the front end or back end? What do you think? Yeah, I think there are certain implications with each of the classifications. Sometimes like certain kinds of engineers like view other kinds of engineers as there are certain stereotypes that come with each kind. For like, sure. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I enjoy it. But it is kind of like a high level concept. Like oftentimes it's hard to classify people as like a singular thing. But if you want to view them more generally, it can be easier to bucket people rather than viewing them as like the complex people that they are. Yeah. Roles. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point you mentioned. Uh, just to reiterate on that is because if... For example, if somebody uh, tells you that they're, oh, I'm a front end engineer, it's not that 100% of the stuff they do is front end engineering, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. It's, I guess, most like, of the time. <laughs> most of the time, yeah. And yeah. then you, you throw in the mix of everything if they have to make sure that they, they're able to run their server to begin with or like make sure to deploy their server properly on you know, the cloud service. Then, yeah, they do a lot of like DevOpsy stuff on top of what they do. So I think it's, uh, yeah, it's not fair to say that 100% of a task is exactly what they're telling you that they're doing. But, um, it's, I guess it kind of skews it. So I could see the downside of like this conversation where you're telling somebody you are a DevOps engineer, but it doesn't mean you don't do any of the other stuff. So mm -hmm. what about your sentiment, Andy? Like whenever people talk about this, like do you like getting into the specifics of telling them like, oh, I'm a backend engineer or do you feel like just keeping it at a, you know, a chill, I'm a software engineer kind of level is uh, much more enjoyable to talk about? Yeah, I mean, it depends uh, who I'm talking to. I mean, if I'm talking to someone that's not an engineer, I, I like to keep it as, like, general and basic as possible. But then if I'm talking to another engineer, I definitely like to geek out about it and talk about the specifics. Well, I mean, yeah, you got to be relatable to the people mm -hmm. that you talk to, obviously. So, like, I, I guess it's, like, case-by-case -case basis. Um, imagine me talking to this with my mom or something. <laughs> like, she'll be... No, she'll be really interested because she loves me. And, <laughs> um, yeah, actually, to, to follow up with that, uh, there's actually a, quite a common you know i don't know if it's a misconception but thing that happened uh quite often that i hear is that people would love like it and software engineer together i feel like i'm bringing this up because sometimes uh when when you tell somebody yeah i'm a software engineer in their mind they're kind of assuming that it's the same thing as an it um and I, i'd love to have an opinion on like do do you like that do you not like that is there a distinction between it and software engineers so um i could I can say from my personal experience, whenever people mention, um, oh, yeah, it's because, uh, sorry, oh, yeah, you're like IT. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, uh, not really, you know, <laughs> like mm. being a software engineer for me, this is, I'm just speaking for myself, is that like, it's not really IT at the end. IT, I feel like um, it's more maintenance and hardware. Like, I don't know if it's a technical definition of it or some of the ITs listening to this might be completely mad at me right now, but... I feel like IT is mostly, uh, a lot more probably hardware focused and a lot more making sure that, you know, I don't know, I probably offended a lot of people. But yeah, I just want to hear what you guys think about, you know, IT versus software engineering, the term itself and what they kind of, you know, until when somebody asks you uh, or if somebody assumes you're an IT, what do you think about that? Imagine if I, could, if I said that, oh, yeah, it's because uh, you're an IT nowadays, Andy. Well, what would you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I kind of have the same view as you. I think that like uh, people in, uh, that engineers uh, build stuff, and then people in IT maintain it. So, well, I, I guess it also depends on what you mean by IT. I think like most people, when they say IT, they think of like support people, like help right. desk or like uh, like a network admin or something like that. So like if that's what you think IT is, then yeah, engineering definitely is, is different. But I feel like engineering still falls in the IT realm. I don't know. There's definitely some information and technology in, in engineering. Yeah, of course. Like that blur, like the the blur and like the overlap does exist, right? Um, which is why there's already that misconception. If ever you know you you don't work in the tech industry, you'd probably love everything IT together. Um, what do you think about that, Stan? Yeah, I think it's how it's used is like can be contextual but i think both of the points that you guys made is fair like you can use it in the context of like network admins and like sysadmins and then those types of people could be grouped under it and then you could have engineers more under like an r&d type umbrella or you could have it maybe more as like like a market or as like a space where like you know those types of people and engineers uh both fall under that group i i've I've heard it used in both contexts, so um, maybe context is the important thing here. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> the thing is, like, when we keep on saying, like, you know, um, uh, systems engineer, like, they do write software at the end of the day, right? When we're when they're checking, like, the performance, when they're checking, like, how many uptimes is, are the servers, like, they are writing software or using software that they built to um, monitor. Actually, it's not guaranteed that they built it, but I feel like IT do have some overlaps in terms of being um, those kind of being involved in software development, which uh, we can't take take that away from them, right? Um, but yeah, I think the other misconception is that there's a lot of shows out there when they talk about the IT or whatever. They're usually the ones that, you know, comes fix your computer when it's broken, right? So I feel like that has an influence onto <laughs> how people are perceiving what an IT is at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, I think it's really snobby to think about it. But yeah, most of the time when people say like the software engineer, just call them software engineer. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. if they actually specifically mention they're an IT, that just call them IT. Um, it's not going to change your life. It's not going to change anybody's life. But hey, I mean, this podcast is all about the geeky tech side of, of tech. So might as well mention that. Um, yeah, so, so far we kind of got a, like a pretty good idea in terms of like how the, I guess, general perception of uh, the different roles of software engineering is. Uh, if we break down exactly when somebody tells you uh, more than I'm a software engineer, but we'll, let's figure out a couple different examples of uh, how somebody would describe themselves. So one of the most common thing nowadays is that uh, on your phone, there's a lot of apps, right? And for for the people that doesn't fully know is that most phones developed on a uh, for a phone is not built on the same, you know, base as an app, for example, on your browser. Um, there are instances where both are built the same, but most of the time, the, uh, the construction, the engineering behind a phone app is different than the engineering behind a web browser app. So... Uh, if we talk about terminology for a specific individual that works on a mobile uh, app, they they could describe themselves as, oh, I'm a mobile engineer or I'm a, I'm a specifically iOS engineer. So that's some terms that I've heard before when you talk to somebody. When you talk like, you know, between engineers, you say like, oh, what, like, what kind of engineer you are? They'll say, uh, I'm an iOS engineer for whatever, for Apple. Um, or uh, I'm an iOS engineer for this gaming company that makes a specific game. So... Um, that's one way of describing them. So that's kind of one of the examples. Do you guys have any other, you know, general examples of how people would, you know, talk about how they work? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different classifications out there, and they're all umbrellas of different sizes. Like you, 
like if you consider iOS engineer probably also falls under, they could also consider themselves a mobile engineer, right? Mm -hmm. If they specialize in iOS and Android engineers would also fall under that mobile engineer. Um, and if you were to say, I'm a backend engineer, maybe you specialize in a particular framework or a particular language, you could consider yourself a Java engineer. Java is traditionally a language that's primarily used on the back end. It can be used for certain front end things, but um, yeah, if you if you have a very deep knowledge base of Java, you can consider yourself a Java engineer. And yeah, these umbrellas like go down even further. Maybe you're like a Spring Java engineer. Oh, yeah. Specifically, <laughs> you just know a lot about like Spring and Hibernate or something, and you don't actually know too much about like the rest of the Java ecosystem. Um, yeah, it's it all depends on how you actually want to classify yourself, but there are varying levels of uh, that you can do so. That's pretty cool. Uh, just because if we look at the uh, the way we break this down is uh, the classification. They'll tell you most of the time the the platform that they work on. So if uh, you work on phones, you'll you'll say I'm a mobile engineer, or if you work on uh, the web, you can say yeah, I'm a web engineer or web developer. And then if we want to extend to that uh, specifically, if you're like a backend engineer for mobile, then you could describe yourself as a mobile backend engineer. So this is kind of like how we could build these terminology of how you describe yourself. And then if you want to be even more specific, like the concept of umbrella you're saying, you could keep on saying that I'm a mobile backend engineer, but then you could add in Java in there. So you'd be a mobile backend Java engineer. So yeah. this, this is kind of like the, you know, the way I'm looking at it. Is that, is that something that uh, you guys have seen, you know, whether it be like job roles or like job description, is that fairly accurate? Yeah, I think I've seen listings that are that specific. Um, those tend to be, I guess, better listings to me since uh, there's a lot of like context there on what the job actually does. So kind of having that specific bucketing uh, is pretty helpful to me. That, that's a great point I want to bring up is that uh, being this descriptive actually helps. Well, I mean, let's talk about the case specifically that you see a job and it kind of breaks it down that way. It tells you the description of that. I feel like that is such a much better effective way of describing, uh, you know, that position just because it gives so much more context, as you were saying, to what exactly the tasks are related uh, whenever you do, whether you apply for that job or not. Um, and it it works. I don't know. For me, it, it, there's benefits on both sides. The people that publish that job uh, posting will know that the people that read this are on the same understanding level, right? They're on the same page that this happened. And for the people applying for these jobs, they know exactly, well, not exactly, but they know better what they're getting into uh, when they do that. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that, but that's, that's <laughs> great. So I think if we manage one day to standardize all of that, imagine if every single job posting have like that kind of format where you they list the platform, they list the uh, front end, back end, like database stuff, and then they keep on going with a little bit more like job, like language specific, that'll be super useful. But is it fair to say that it's not always like that? Can can some positions be like more than just one platform? Or can one position be more than one language? Can some, one, some positions, sorry, positions be more than one like either front end or back end at the end of the day from what you guys have seen? Yeah, they can definitely be like that. I mean, if we're talking about in the context of job descriptions, I'd say there are a lot of jobs where you actually, let's say you're like, you consider yourself a back end engineer and you've only worked with TypeScript before. Mm -hmm. um, and you primarily have written like TypeScript backend services for the past few years. If you saw a job listing for a backend position that and all they use is Django or Python, like that shouldn't discount you from applying to that job per se, because there's a lot of transferable skills in terms of building out backend systems, ir like ir 
regardless of which programming language you choose to use to implement that backend system. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I kind of agree with the bit where I guess the importance of uh, from one level to the other, one is like mobile, backend, Java, engineer. You can't say that um, it's relevant for somebody to apply for a mobile position if all their experience has been working with like web browsers. Or am I wrong here? You can apply for an entry level <laughs> position. Yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just, again, there are some transferable skills. It's not like just because like, just because you've never coded iOS, if I've coded a bunch in other programming language, I could probably still pick up, you know, Objective C or Swift, mm -hmm. you know, somewhat, somewhat quickly. Um, yeah, so there are definitely transferable skills regardless of how you classify yourself. It, it just may be, uh, it may be like how how much of your skills are transferable to whatever role you're applying to. Yeah, that perfectly makes sense. Uh, and even an example of given a single person. If one of their jobs, they've always been a web app engineer, a web app backend engineer, let's say, and uh, a second role, they actually do manage to get a mobile position. They could describe themselves, themselves sorry, as, oh, uh, I'm a web app developer, but I'm also a mobile engineer, right? So I feel like this is definitely, it's not just a single path that you take. Um, if ever you do end up in a position where, you know, you, you've done a lot of different projects that are touching different platforms, whatever. You could definitely call yourself, you know, those two different type of engineers. You could say that you're a mobile engineer, but you're also, you know, a web app engineer. Um, one of the other interesting things that I've probably noticed in the past couple of years is that this terminology, like we're getting really like, you know, geeky about breaking it down and getting really super into it. Um, it's not really standardized across everywhere in the industry. So having this level of, uh, you know, preciseness is more common, I would say, in bigger companies where they have a better structure in terms of like even breaking down their teams. They have a dedicated team for, you know, building their iOS app. They have a dedicated team to build their Android app. They have a dedicated team to build a browser app. Um, I feel like this is like quite common to, to see in like bigger companies. But smaller companies like startups or even just younger companies are, you know, they also have to find a way to do this. So um, I think the point I'd like to bring up is, is it, is it fair to say that the trend is when you're a bigger company, that's when you have this like more granular, different different kind of engineers, as opposed to like these smaller startups where most of the time you'll be just called a software engineer. Well, I think they still call you a software engineer at Google, even if your role is more specialized. Um, but yeah, there definitely seems to be more specialization in like a specific, uh, in a specific technology uh, when working on when working on a product at a larger company. Uh, so you may have less, a less diverse set of roles uh, when, in your contributions. So I guess I could kind of understand from that point is that like, even if you're at a bigger company, like a Fortune 500 or a fan company, most of the time you could just say, oh, I'm a software engineer, but you're gonna mention specifically on which team you work in. Mm -hmm. And that'll probably be a much better idea of uh, more descriptive of basically what, what kind of engineer you are. So, if we give an example, oh, I'm a software engineer at Google and I work on the search engine, then you kind of know more or less, you know, search engine on, on what, on the browser. And then that kind of how you give you a direction of how to describe that kind of engineer. Yeah, what do you think about that, Andy? Like in that kind of bigger company versus smaller company, like how people see it or how, you know, the uh, kind of engineers distinguish themselves, sorry. Yeah, I think the distinction between the positions is probably more clear at a bigger company. Is because like they have the resources to do to do so, and um, I guess like at that scale, you really need experts in the fields rather than like a kind of generalist that can do everything. 
well, I got to start it. The journalist makes much more sense because it's kind of just like, you just have to push that up, push stuff out rather quickly. It doesn't necessarily need to be done to like a hundred percent perfection. It just has to be done. Yeah. The concept of uh, a single engineer wearing multiple hats. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I've definitely seen that across, uh, you know, the younger companies where, yeah, you come in as a generalist, a full stack, and you touch all every part of the platform, but then you end up getting tasked to, you know, uh, move the whole server from one sort of like cloud service to another. And it's like, right. Um, all right, let's do a lot of DevOps stuff that has to, you know, require a lot of knowledge that you weren't exactly prepared or expecting to know. But then that's kind of how like, you know, these uh, startup position kind of build on top of it. So I, yeah, I kind of definitely do see that happening most of the time. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like that's a good context. I feel like uh, I want to bring, you know, more specific examples on every single one of them. We've listed a lot of different platforms and a lot of different kind of engineers. So, so far, the different platforms that are available for apps that are built all across the world at the moment, the most, I think the most common one are web apps. So any application that runs on a browser, I think that's probably the most common. Um, but the other ones that we do see is we have mobile apps. So anything that is on a phone uh, or even an iPad, I'd consider that like a mobile app. But on top of those two, the other the examples that we got are um, desktop apps. So these are apps specifically that runs on your computer, but not in a browser. They're literally, you know, you download the package, you download the installer and it installs it on your computer and then you run off of that. So that's, a, I think, is a different category of engineering. Well, I mean, if you want to consider what kind of engineering, what kind of software engineer, those would be a different category as well. And another one that is actually quite more prominent nowadays is uh, hardware-specific software engineers. By that, I mean, you know, like how you, how you have cars like Tesla coming out and then you have like spaceships uh, and then you have... Um, even TVs, they have their own hardware into it. And there's no guarantee that your mobile app, your iPhone app is going to run on a regular TV, right? So I think that's another fun category that we could explore in terms of why they're kind of slightly different from each other. And then uh, from, you know, from each one of them, like every every aspect of being a front end, back end, um, full stack uh, engineer is slightly distinguished for these platforms as well. Not only that, I just want to mention also that there's a lot of we haven't mentioned yet. Um, some of the terms that you will hear in the tech world is you have uh, site reliability engineers, you have security engineers, you have machine learning, whatever, data science. Like Those are also part of you know this ecosystem, but I personally haven't figured really out where do they fit in. Like if I, the question would be like, given, an, uh, given somebody who tells you, oh, I'm an ML engineer, what can you take of it? What do you understand of that? That probably means uh, their area of specialization is around, you know, machine learning models. Uh, if you dive a little bit deeper, maybe they specialize specifically in like producing those models, or maybe they're more on the, or maybe they spend a lot more of their time, you know, processing like the input data to feed into these models to train them. Um, it it can mean a lot of different things. Again, these words are kind of general classifications, but they don't always tell you all the details or the nitty gritty of exactly what they're spending most of their time doing. Right. And that would be enough information for you to determine what kind of platform they're on, as in like what kind of tools they'll be using and what kind of, uh, where are they running this programming that they're doing basically? Uh, yeah, it doesn't tell you necessarily like their entire workflow and the tooling that they use to accomplish their work. You could probably ask follow-up questions <laughs> if, you, if you need that information. Yeah, so how do you feel about that, Andy? When somebody mentions, oh, I'm an ML engineer, I'm guessing that you kind of think the same, that it's more, it's very high-level description of the kind of engineer they are as opposed to figuring out what 
stack they're using basically yeah definitely the only thing i can really get from that is um that they specialize in ml there's still not a lot of detail in there because i feel like there are like quite a couple subcategories of ml what like there's probably things like um like speech detection or like uh, or image detection so yeah by just saying that they're an ml engineer i can't really get too much out of that i i definitely agree with what both of you were saying uh, just because the concept of uh Saying I'm an ML engineer, one thing I can say for sure is that they're definitely, not definitely, but they're most likely not a front-end engineer if they tell you an M, they're an ML engineer, if that makes any sense. You could categorize them mostly that they're you know working on the backend and how they process a lot of the information coming in and they don't really require building pretty u- like user interfaces to do that. So I think that's kind of how I see it is that they'll tell you that there's something and you could sort of kind of exclude what they're not and figuring out from that point like, you know, <laughs> what kind of engineer they are. So yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty fun. Um, I think the one that personally affects us the most is uh, for the past couple of years, like uh, I've been a, I've been an engineer working on web apps most of the time. So when we talk about web apps, we're literally talking about like you know all the, all the websites out there that uh, if I go on Facebook and I log in on Facebook, like everything is running in the browser and that's how you interact with it. Um, and then if you ever need getting data, it'll, it'll fetch a server and come back on that. So I think, yeah, for the past couple of years, uh, I've been working on a lot, a lot of the you know, web app stuff. So if we go into that category specifically of web apps and we break it down a bit, um, one of the very common role in, uh, in that kind of platform is front-end engineers for a web application. Uh, so that's one way of describing a type of engineer. What exactly does that mean? Like, what is the responsibility, I guess, of a uh, web front-end engineer at the end of the day? Um, I think it's usually their responsibility to kind of own everything that's uh, consumer-facing or user-facing. So things like making sure that the website looks good, that it's functional. Yep, and uh, in terms of like scalable, scalable part of it, as in like the whole point is that one of the responsibility, I guess, for a front engineer is that they could duplicate pages or duplicate components very, very quickly um, just because websites gets really complicated nowadays. And then uh, if, for example, a blogging website, you don't want to have to manually build the, the, like the post, the structure of a post every single time. So. I guess that's one of the uh, responsibilities of uh, a front-end engineer for a web application. Is there any other responsibility that you could think of for a front-end engineer? Yeah, it's kind of, again, an umbrella term. I've seen front-end engineers that also take on some kind of design responsibilities. Uh, some of them don't do that, and they only spec- they're given like a design spec, and they just need to implement that. Uh, I think when I hear that term, it I've seen both types of both types of engineers where like some of them take on the design responsibilities as well. Some of them also have their own input in terms of like how to handle like the UX and whatnot, yeah. especially if there isn't like a dedicated UX, UX designer or like a UI designer on your team. Oftentimes front end people can also take up those responsibilities, but I think at its core, they still need to be able to code and they probably specialize in coding in uh, some kind of specific front-end framework, whether it be like React, Angular, maybe just native JavaScript running in the browser if they're super intense. (laughs) I mean, you definitely named a lot of very popular frameworks, actually. And uh, when somebody tells you what kind of framework they're using, that is a really good indicator on, I guess, what type of engineer they are at the end. So React, Angular, Vue, those are very like heavy UI um, frameworks that are available. Uh, mostly for JavaScript, actually. Those are, um, is that the, the most common language where front-end engineers work with today? Or 
Are there any other web front engineers technologies that people code in? Yeah, JavaScript is for sure the most uh, popular one. What, like almost 100% of websites uh, or like web applications use JavaScript? Yeah, it's definitely the more, more modern way. That, I mean, prior to like <laughs> JavaScript taking over everything like and building out a bunch of single page applications, uh, people used to do server rendering for a lot of the front end stuff. Mm -hmm. So the server would just kind of send down the HTML and then oftentimes if you needed dynamic content, you would use like a templating engine to like subs to generate the HTML as opposed to using JavaScript on the uh, loading JavaScript uh, on the page that you're you're rendering uh, and then running it on yeah. the page. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think there has been a bit of an advent like back to that where there are some performance benefits to doing server rendering uh, and certain technologies like web. WebAssembly have mm -hmm. like kind of come forward, and you can definitely do you know kind of front end type engineering uh, in languages outside of JavaScript these days as well. And if you need it for specific use cases, like you need to produce like a very performant web application or something, sometimes JavaScript isn't the right tool for that. Exactly, and I'm really glad you, that you mentioned the push about like server side rendering. Like it existed back then, but nowadays it's not as common. But there's this recent push to try to bring it back to server-side rendering. Uh, I'm going to bring up a technology that some people use called Next.js, and that's kind of like the concept of it, is so that all the logic to generate the actual HTML happens on the server-side, and it just sends you know big old string onto the browser so that it displays it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, the advantage, you named it, couple of performance issue. But I swear I could do an absolute whole episode of just talking about like server-side rendering compared to that. So it is, I guess, very fascinating in terms of how it relates to some of the responsibilities of front-end engineer. Um, but if we talk about, you know, just more life experience kind of thing, like you, you guys have met a lot of front-end engineers or engineers that have uh, full-stack engineers but have, you know, worked on a lot of front-end stuff. Do you, like, do you want to just describe a picture of somebody like that? What kind of mind that they have? So I'm, I could probably, you know, help with this. That, like, I'd imagine the, well, not imagine, all these front-end software engineers I've worked with, they usually have, like, an eye for, you know, uh, the different size of a font, for example. They usually, like, notice some details or even just whatever, some animation. Uh, they'll probably have a particular attention to that kind of stuff. Is that how the engineers, different engineers you've met throughout your career look like, Stan? Or, you know, they have even more different specific description that you could point out? Yeah, I think like the stereotypes and like a little bit of anecdotal of, like experience is that generally front end engineers, they are more visual people. Like they actually appreciate and like, <laughs> like the visual nuances of like a UI. Uh, they might appreciate like the UX of like a certain design. Uh, I also find they're, they're generally a little more social <laughs> back-end people. That's, uh, that's, yeah. Wait, just, why is that That's, that's though? just yeah. anecdotally. I don't know, maybe they like working with like designers and stuff. Like I think they like, they, front-end people I think oftentimes have more connections or are communicating with uh, parties outside of engineers a little bit more often. Sometimes they're working with designers. They might work a little closer with like PMs uh, that might have some input towards the UI and UX of something that they're implementing. While backend people, oftentimes, they might be working with like a technical PM that has an engineering background or just with other backend engineers uh, to produce whatever they need to. Yeah, that's that's actually pretty cool. I mean, we're going to dive into backend in just a bit, just see if uh, they have the same kind of attitude or quality of being 
so open and friendly and everyone's <laughs> just getting on that but yeah what about the different front end engineers you've worked with andy is that kind of like the description that you fit in or yeah i've i've basically seen the same thing they usually have like a greater eye for like uh i guess visual detail and they're more passionate about uh user experience than someone on the back end would but i'm not sure if uh I see the difference where they're like more social or, or more social compared to uh, back-end engineers. Maybe that's just Perry then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I mean, no, but I'm a back-end and I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, no, but it's really good to, you know, when we mentioned these anecdotal stuff, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, obviously it'll be way more accurate if we take a sample of 5,000 different engineers that we work with. But I think even just the day, real-life day-to-day kind of stuff, like the different engineers that we've worked with, um, a lot of them happen to be front-end engineers and they all have different characters. Like, yeah, it does exist where a front-end engineer is completely, you know, the opposite. They they do front-end work. They build a lot of, like, HTML and JavaScript stuff, but they hate talking about fonts. They don't they don't care if it's a Roboto font or if it's, like, a Comic Sans. Like, for them, it's not the point. Uh, what they're interested in is uh, having a really good structure in their code, for example. Like, if their passion is to have components that are completely reusable and they're, like, really customizable components... And they don't care about like you know color palettes. Those front end engineers, web engineers do exist, and they're great engineers at the end of the day, right? Because they're providing tools for you know whoever's writing code, writing front end code to to expand it even more. So yeah, I think that's uh, I, I'm just bringing that as an example because I think I've worked with somebody like that. That yeah, they're technically like a front end engineer. They build a lot of components, they build a lot of the user facing stuff. But in terms of like the appreciation of whatever the 1.5 times bigger font than the other one. Sometimes they just couldn't care less at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, it's a good range, but we can see that they all still fit this kind of description that uh, they do have an importance to make sure that what they're putting out there is appealing to the user that's going to use it, uh, which is probably one of the, I guess, more important role because every time you use an app, like the user sees stuff, right? Every single app that I know, well, not fully true, but a good 95% of the apps out there is a visual thing. Um, other than like, you know, if you have like audiobooks and all that kind of stuff, like don't, those don't really fit the UI. But even just choosing which book you want to listen to or which uh, specific podcast you want to listen to, there's a lot of like importance on like the front end part because you got to interact with it. So, um, but yeah, I'm really glad that, you know, we brought up the anecdotal experience of the different kind of engineers we work uh, on that category. But if we flip the, the side a bit, uh, if we talk about web-specific backend engineers, right? Let's, yeah, let's describe, not not really describe, but let's talk about, like, what, what do they do? What's their responsibility? Like, what does a backend web engineer do? They usually write the logic that kind of powers these uh, front ends. So kind of more like uh, server work compared to, like, uh, things that a user can see. Is that how you see it as well, Stan? Yeah, I think that's a good general description uh if they're specifically like a back-end web engineer they they probably should know a little bit about like the standards of how to produce those types of uh produce like standard back-end services maybe they should be familiar maybe with like a restful standard um maybe they should understand a bit about kind of like network protocols like http which is generally the protocol used to transfer a lot of this data um and since they probably touch on they probably need to persist data somewhere. They probably have some kind of understanding with databases as, or they might have a more intimate familiarity with databases as opposed to front end, which is a little more detached from that part of the system. Um, Yeah, those are some of the general concepts I would expect a web backend engineer to understand. 
And we, we see the clear distinction that there's no worry about what the end user uh, feels like, what their experience is like for a backend engineer. Because I think the, the crowd that the backend engineer cater to is the people using their APIs that they're building or using the uh, services that they're building out there. Do you agree with that, that backend engineers don't, their responsibility uh, doesn't impact the user experience for the end user as much at the end of the day? It doesn't impact the, the end user as if the end user is the person using the web application, but it does impact the front end engineers who are generally consuming their, their, the APIs that they're, they're producing. So that kind of synergy still exists at the end of the day. So the, the level of standard that you want a back engineer to be putting out there is they want to be catering to, uh, I guess, the front end engineer more than the end user. In that case, actually, I want to put a bigger picture in terms of like, what's the difference between a backend engineer and a front-end engineer for, I guess, you know, the people that are listening that are a little bit less techy at the end of the day. There's an analogy that I kept on using for the past couple of years, and I feel like it just works out really well, is you know how you have a restaurant, and then a lot of times they'll refer to the front staff and also the, the back staff. So the front, the front house is the people that are directly facing with the customers, right? The people eating at a restaurant. So you have the waiters, you have the maître d'hôte, and you have all these, like, fun people. And most of the time, the dining space has a lot of visually pleasing element to it. Uh, you know, the lighting, the paintings, you know, the, the, the fun color walls. That is kind of the comparison for like the front end part or like the responsibilities of the front engineers to make that bid look pretty. But if you look at the back of the house, right, where the actual cooking happens, um, I think that would be the comparison of like the back end engineer's responsibilities is to actually, you know, provide the food coming out, right? Provide the actual information, this, uh, you know, putting it out there. Not to say that the kitchen itself cannot look pretty, that is probably going to be a comparison of like the standard I'm talking about. If you have back engineers that are really prioritizing their endpoints and then they, they, they want to make sure that the information coming in and going out is a very structured way in a specific schema, then I guess that's kind of the level of cleanliness the back end staff would keep like their kitchen at. And then if we want to extend onto that as like database engineers, basically like the fridge where they get like the food out of or something like that. So I feel like that, that was the kind of analogy that I've been using for you know the different responsibilities for a back engineer as opposed to a front end team. Is that the front end team is definitely catering to the you know the person coming in to eat your food, and then the back end team or the people that are you know processing the food and serving it to uh, you know the wait staff to give it to the customer. Um, was that a, was that a good explanation that I did in terms of like how we could describe what a back end engineer is like? I think that's a reasonable analogy. Um, yeah, they're just like different levels of interfaces at different points. Um, right. Yeah, and that's actually a really good point because that food could have been part of different services or like coming back in different levels before they actually reach the... Uh... Yeah, like the food needs to be created at, in like a timely manner. It needs to be created uh, like a decent quality. And you could kind of think of serving up data as in a similar way. Like the data should be structured properly and it should be returned in a, an appropriate amount of time to the waiter who eventually serves that back to you know, the end user, which is nice. the, the customer. Man, I feel like we keep on listing all these responsibilities for like a backend engineer and like it just feels like keeps on growing. I feel like when you mention one responsibility, another one pops up just because like the, the amount of uh, logic and understanding to make sure that all your all your service that you provide uh, actually makes sense. Um, we're actually, it's quite modern. What are we? It's like 2020 kind of thing. What are the uh, common technologies that you see backend engineers use? So uh, when somebody say like, oh, I'm a backend engineer, what kind of what kind of technologies that they'll they'll be saying? Yeah, there's a lot of interesting phrases out there. I don't know, like web frameworks you can hear that people use, Express with JavaScript. 
Um, you can hear that they host everything on like Google Cloud or AWS. Um, you can hear about like how they host everything like using like Kubernetes or like some other form of like virtualization or like putting stuff in containers. Mm -hmm. Wow, that, yeah, we're getting, we're getting into a bit where like, is that still a backend engineer or is that still like an infrastructure or like a site reliability engineer or a deployment engineer? It's, or is it like quite distinct, those two, those two categories? So I just kind of brought up like, okay, now we have front-end engineers, back-end engineers, but we also have like DevOps engineers and like site reliability. And some of the technologies that you've listed kind of touches back-end and DevOps engineer. Do you consider that like a, the same category, back-end and DevOps, or do you still feel like it's a quite a clean split between those two kind of engineers? Uh, there probably is a pretty clean split, but then just based on my experience, I've only worked in startups. So it's like uh, typically like a back-end engineer would do all the DevOps SRE stuff as well. Yeah, that's uh, that's a perfectly good point. Yeah, for you, Sam, what kind of other like, you know, technologies that you've, uh, you've you know, heard backend engineers work on? Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of languages and there's a lot of frameworks that you can use these days. Uh, Java is a pretty popular for more old, you know, a lot of old school people still use Java. Java's pretty good, it's pretty performant. Um, there's also languages like, you know, Python is a very popular language uh, and there are multiple web frameworks there as well. Flask, Django are two pretty popular ones and they kind of vary in philosophies as Django is a lot more heavyweight and provides a lot of additional, it makes, it provides a lot of tools and abstractions that you can use kind of out of the box, but it's definitely a heavier framework as opposed to Flask, which doesn't provide as many tools and you need to use a lot of other third party libraries and add-ons to get the functionality that might come out of the box with Django. Um, but if you prefer a lighter framework, that's that's a good option. I mean, at Notable, we use, we use uh, Express with TypeScript slash, not JavaScript, but TypeScript's a variation of JavaScript. Uh, yeah, and then there are more performant languages, like Go is a very popular one right now. Uh, there are multiple web frameworks there as well. Rust is becoming more popular. It's more of a systems language, but I've seen some people use it for HTTP, uh, creating HTTP web servers as well. Um, yeah, there's a bunch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a bunch is an understatement at this point. Um, something I do want to emphasize that, like, I like how when we're talking about the technologies that a front-end engineer uses nowadays, a very common one is that we kind of agree that it's just barely less than a handful, right? But when we talk about back-end technologies, we, we, we easily describe five, and I could probably describe even five more on top of the one that we listed. Like even all these serverless stuff, I would consider that as a technology that some backend engineers do use at the end of the day. My question would be, why do we, for example, choose Express over uh, Ruby on Rails, for example? Like why would an engineer choose one over the other? If somebody was gonna be you know, deciding uh, to go into a certain software engineering path, uh, I wanna be a backend engineer and they want to choose one of these ones. Like, what are the kind of appealing stuff to choose Flask over, you know, Go at the end of the day? To use it, like, in a production environment or, like, or like uh, or to pick one or For both, actually. But yeah. I think more relevant for uh, an actual production, you know, part of a company environment. Yeah. I would say, like, I guess how the how the community is. So, like, if, if Express is used a lot more, there's probably a lot more community support online, which would make things a lot easier for uh, whatever engineer is going to work on it. Um, you want to look at like how well supported it is like 
is the Express team still constantly pushing out updates? Um, probably like just how often it's being used to. Like if you if you pick a framework like Express, it's probably very easy to hire like another backend engineer who knows Express pretty well. Versus like if you pick something like Rails, like I don't think it's being used as much anymore. Mm -hmm. So like that area is a little bit smaller. Yeah, I do really like the uh, documentation bit that you were mentioning, just because that obviously will make your day-to-day -day life better if you're going to be working in technology that is like quite supported at the end of the day. So, yeah, what about you, Stan? What do you think uh, the difference would be between like the different kind of back-end technologies that are out there at the moment? Uh, in terms of choosing one, I think Andy touched on some pretty good points. Uh, you should you should choose one that has active support because that would that means your team probably can spend less time maintaining the library themselves, like so there will be external maintenance. Um, you should choose a language that meets the specs that you need for whatever you're building. Like if you're looking mm -hmm. to build something very performant, you know, maybe a Flask server that is is a little less performant than running like a Go HTTP server might uh, might not be the choice for you. And there's also like the language. The language that uh, the framework uses. Um, if all your engineers already know Python and none of them know Go, maybe you should still pick the the Python, the Python web framework, just because there's less of an engineering learning cost. Uh, every time you introduce a new technology that people are unfamiliar with, there's definitely like uh, there's a cost to engineers need to learn the new framework that's going to take time and that's going to cost your company money for them to become productive i'm so glad that you brought up those points which is great because um the the uptime of somebody learning a language to begin with learning a modern language is so important and which is why you know when you talk about somebody being this specific kind of engineer it's because they, they they spent the time to learn a language slash framework which is then justifying what kind of engineers they are at the end so if for example the past couple of years i've been writing a bunch of javascript then that kind of explains what kind of uh, mindset of, you know, if I'm going to be writing a lot of JavaScript plus React, for example, that kind of describes of what kind of work you do, which is a front-end engineering work most of the time. Um, another term that I do see associated with web apps, like back-end engineering most of the time, is uh, being called an API engineer. Does that is that synonym to seeing a back-end engineer when somebody mentions that? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so sure. I, don't, I, think I, I think I have seen that like, phrase before. Um, don't think I know any actual API engineers, but then I would assume that they're kind of just normal backend engineers, but working on a more specific part of the backend, like specifically APIs. That's a good point. What do you think, Stan? I don't like that term <laughs> because if you break it down, it's like, uh, was it something programming interface? Mm -hmm. Application? Application programming interface. I'm not 100% uh, sure. I just made that up, but let's no, no, go with I, that. No, that's <laughs> right. I was blanking on it. Um, application programming interface. And then technically, what is an application? Is that like the front end portion of your application? Is that the back end portion of your application? It's, uh, it's kind of too general of a term, I think, to be applied to specifically say, oh, only HTTP like endpoints are application programming interfaces. like. You, maybe you have other, you know, with microservice architectures these days, you might have multiple services and they all have their own APIs, but some of the services are only consumed by other backend services. And like backend and frontend is all relative uh, when, you're, when you're talking about like API consumption. Like you can have a backend server that's the backend to like a frontend web application act as like the frontend to 
another backend server. So it's yeah. kind of like a link. Yeah. Yeah. So the architecture behind it is much more complex than just saying that the they have API available. So uh, I and I'd absolutely love to emphasize your point that uh, I guess we shouldn't be associating synonyms between API engineers and backend engineers because I feel like API is very specific, much more specific than a backend engineer. And uh, if we list more examples of other, I guess, responsibility that I can do, like sometimes there's probably like scheduled jobs running as well. And those are not really, I guess, APIs per se. Uh, an API engineer would not directly touch that kind of stuff. So I kind of get that the broader term of backend engineer is probably more, you know, commonly used as opposed to saying, you know, API engineer is a very, very specific <laughs> term of uh, calling that. Um, I also want to bring up the question in terms of like, how do you describe the like backend engineers you've worked out throughout your career? Like what kind of... Like, what kind of people do they look like when uh, when you've met them? I don't know. They seem like pretty uh, regular uh, engineers to me. I don't think I've worked with too many, uh, I guess, like IT stereotype or engineering stereotype people. And for you, Stan? For me, um, I don't know. I think there has been a skew. A lot of the backend engineers that I work with like working more with other engineers. And I think that that's that's also seen in their work, right? Because backend engineers generally produce things that are consumed by other engineers, not necessarily by like the end user. So they're a little dissociated from like the end user uh, most of the time. Um, but yeah, personality-wise, uh, I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to you know box everyone into like one type of personality. I know, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the. Oftentimes, the backend people, I also find they're quite meticulous. Uh, yeah, they're, maybe they're not as visual people as, as front-end engineers. So you're saying they're blind? Yeah, okay. you know, as, if you could, if you got a keyboard and you can type touch, you're probably good. <laughs> probably as well. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not fair to say that, like, backend engineers are, like, you know, not the, the, the most friendly, I guess, people out there. I want to bring back the point you were mentioning, how backend engineers, they're user base is other engineers, which is quite an important thing to point out because the the immediate impact, so if, for example, you're a backend engineer within the team and then it's other members on the team using your code, the product that you put in there, it kind of really strengthens the relationship when you have a really good backend engineer with good personality and good character just, just because it makes everybody else around them a lot, you know, much more performant and a lot easier to work with at the end. So that trait of a... Uh, you know, a good back engineer or even just a back engineer that I've worked with in the past couple of years, those are the memorable ones is because uh, the the impact that they, that they have is directly to the people that they work with or also other, maybe other engineers from different teams that, you know, uses their API. As opposed to if you take a front-end engineer, they'll be putting out something for like, you know, some customers out there, but the immediate impact is much further, right? You don't have the direct feedback of how the, you know, the the, the end user thinks as closely as a backend engineer would. So um, I think that's a really good point in terms of like describing, you know, uh, what backend engineers look like you've uh, you've worked with in the, in the past. I think for me, I could also speak for like, you know, uh, the different teams that had backend, dedicated backend engineers uh, on a team. It's, I don't know, man, like, you know, the comparison when we were saying how like front end are like much more open because like, you know, they talk, you know, they're, they're much more open. They talk about friendly stuff a lot of the time. Uh, so far, the track record is, I don't know why that is a trend. Like, a lot of the back-end, back-end engineers, like, the really skilled ones, the ones that are absolutely, like, impeccable, like, next level, 
they're they don't fit the category of like super being open and like reaching out and like talking about like the latest you know tech doc that come up i don't know why that's the thing is it because like the nature of the work is so focused and technical and so you know making sure that the the structure is correct or is it just me having a really bad streak of like anecdotal never really meeting like a back-end engineer that has been like whatever the the fullest of life to be able to sell the next big product out there i think back-end people know how to empathize with machines (laughs) (laughs) and if you're a front-end person you have to learn to empathize with other people (laughs) like again you might be working with designers uh ux people and again back-end people probably mostly need to work with other engineers and maybe their PM. So there's just less diversity in terms of the people that they generally need to communicate with to get their work done. And then when you're considering that, so that's a daily consistent factor, when you're always facing with these, you know, specific relationships as opposed to different relationships, you do kind of see the tendency happening at the end. Um, Yeah, similar thoughts, Andy, or? I don't know, like I definitely don't see that split between uh, back end and front end. Like I see that the job kind of requires different skills like i, I think everything that stan said was correct like the uh, back-end engineers would typically talk to other engineers versus like front front end there, there's like other external uh, like stakeholders that they have to communicate with but yeah i've never really seen like a personality split between front end and back-end engineers they're all just normal people to me yeah <laughs> maybe you've worked more with like full stack people yeah. and uh if if people are doing all of these responsibilities and they're not dedicated front-end or back-end people, that maybe there is less of a personality split because their responsibilities are all kind of the same. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. I like how we just spent like, the past five minutes to talk about like just something that's completely not technical, something that is completely subjective at the end of the day, <laughs> um, which I think is fun because that's basically how you know uh, a software engineering life is. You know, We do a lot of technical stuff, but I do want to emphasize on the aspect that a lot of you know the perceptions, the subjectiveness and how we you know the relationship between is also you know quite an important thing that we should think about between uh working with back engineers software engineers full stack engineers um but now that i just mentioned the full stack engineer that's a quite a prominent thing and i feel like it's really redundant aside from the fact that a full stack engineer has like the responsibilities of the back end engineer and the front engineer as well are there any other stuff that you know we could characterize specifically to a full stack engineer well, you could go further in the stack. Like, it doesn't have to end at backend. Like, they can also do database management. Some people lump that under backend. You could do more DevOps stuff. Again, some people might lump that under backend if, like, they just want to simplify the classification. Um, but yeah, like, I think a full stack actually means that you really do are capable of doing anything to get this product out, mm-hmm. rather, whatever it is. Uh, so that's whatever, that, yeah, whatever. Yeah, okay. <laughs> at whatever cost. <laughs> you know. Nice. Um, yeah, I could definitely agree with the bit where it's uh, the world is not just front end engineers and back end engineers. Uh, and when you say full stack, it includes those two, but it also includes like another example that has been brought previously. Uh, we're talking about site reliability engineers. We're talking about infrastructure engineers. We're talking about DevOps engineers. We're talking about system admins. So let's break that bit down actually a bit. Uh, what, what does it entail to be a, I guess, site reliability engineer? They're probably, um, the, the way I see it is that they're kind of closer to the IT side, um, but they're still engineers. Like they do a lot of uh, the ma- maintenance work on what backend engineers produce. 
Yeah, so if you were to, if let's say you have to run the code somewhere, how do you actually scale running this code? Where do you actually run this code? How do you make sure it's always available? Um, like that the services have like a very high percentage uptime. I think a lot of those responsibilities fall under like an SRE. And that is probably one of the more important thing nowadays because when we talk about the number of connections to a website, for example, we're pushing numbers to like millions and billions nowadays. So, um, and when we're seeing the DevOps slash system admin kind of thing, is it fair to say that they do a little bit less of the R&D, like the research and development then? Or is it still fair to say that they do R&D, but in a very specific topic as opposed to the R&D and like a new feature that this product is putting out? I think they still do R&D. I do think like some of their role has become simpler over time, just as like, you know, front end people's roles have become simpler over time, like prior to React or like Angular or any of these web frameworks, people were just writing, you know, native JavaScript or like... Hey, know, jQuery. Or like <laughs> jQuery. Yeah, jQuery was like a big, a big change from native JavaScript. Um, and there are definitely like SRE like type frameworks, like something like Kubernetes. Like now they just need to get the Kubernetes cluster up and Kubernetes handles a lot of like, has the capabilities of handling a lot of like the auto scaling stuff that maybe the SRE had to implement themselves back in the day. Um, so, I mean, they're probably still trying out a lot of frameworks, uh, new technologies, and trying to figure out, you know, what's the best way to actually scale these services. Yeah, I'm actually really great that you brought up uh, those different points, actually, because uh, I guess my perception of infrastructure engineers or DevOps engineers is that they're, they're there to make sure that the flow being deployed, the deployment workflow is much more seamless. And uh, and if we're talking specifically about site reliability, that's a very crucial part of it. So of course, the responsibility is going to be, you know, tackling that kind of that kind of problem at a company. Um, and also, when you just started like mentioning Kubernetes, like that's a really good example of technologies that maybe a uh, system reliability site engineer uh, works on nowadays or works with, or a DevOps engineer works with. Are there any other, you know, common technologies that, uh, as a type of, you know, DevOps engineer, what kind of what kind of tools and software that you're going to be dealing with most of the time? I could bring an example actually. If we talk about deployment, a lot of them, like for example, CI/CD uh, services out there, like Jenkins, uh, Circle CI. Um, are there any other ones in that family for, you know, I guess DevOps engineers to be using consistently throughout their career? Yeah, there's probably some like uh, some monitoring like frameworks that they might use something like New Relic. Um, yeah, because uh, when we're talking about performance and monitoring that, that's a really good point. Yeah, uh, there's also stuff like Terraform if you want to bring up their infrastructure, like uh, regardless of which like big cloud provider you're using, I think that that might be a good one. Um, there's there's new technologies with like service meshes are becoming quite popular that might fall under the realm of an SRE deploying and implementing that those types of solutions like Linkerd is an implementation of uh, a service mesh and it allows you to uh, do a lot of monitoring uh, especially around like Kubernetes type deployments which are like container based. Um, yeah, and I just want to put a last, I guess, little emphasis. I want to talk about monitoring. Sorry, there's so many services out there for uh, logs. There's like six different solar winds, you know, even the Google Cloud Platform's own implementation of tracking logs. That's another way of, you know, keeping track of stuff like that. So 
yeah, those when we list the kind of technologies, you can assume that the engineer, if they use it consistently, they're probably like more of a DevOps engineer at the end of the day, which is uh, which is always fun. Um, one thing, if we talk specifically about DevOps engineer, is uh, it's very common for them to be using Unix as opposed to you know uh, Mac OS or Windows operating system. Um, I guess from your perception, I guess is there a reason why that happens, or do you actually not see that happening for some reliability engineers or system admins out there? Well, I think there still are a decent amount of servers that run on Windows. I think Mac OS for sure is, uh, there aren't that many servers left. I think Apple like went out of that business a couple of years back, maybe even like a decade or so. But I would assume it's just because uh, Unix is free. Like I think a Microsoft Windows Server uh, license is pretty expensive. And like if you're looking to scale, you know, you need like thousands of those licenses. That's a very good point. I think if you could, you could, if you could, I guess, cut costs or like have a service be more affordable just because it's running on Unix, then that's a, I guess, a total good appeal to it. Then, is there something uh, similar that you wanted to add about the fact that most DevOps engineer, like or system admin specifically, uses Unix as opposed to any other operating systems? Then, I guess anecdotally that's the case, but I can't really think of a strong reason why. I mean, Mac OS, like, <laughs> like, I mean, like seems sufficient in terms of doing a lot of the stuff like you could probably use windows as well if like the servers you're managing are windows based it's probably good to stay consistent in terms of like your actual workstation os and uh whatever you're actually deploying out at some you know variation of whatever servers you're actually running for uh, or what whatever kind of os you're using to deploy like these servers that are are uh that you're using for whatever application you're building. Um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly why that's the case, though. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I didn't even have the answer to begin with. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like it was just something that you know you would associate. The OS kind of mattered more for a DevOps than like a front engineer at the end, but I feel like in the big, big, bigger picture, it doesn't really matter which OS you dev on. Uh, engineers are not limited by the OS that they dev on. Uh, they're limited by the concept that they don't have and then <laughs> that's going to be another uh, conceptual thing that we could talk about um but if we just want to wrap up the, the different kinds of like web apps engineers right there's this term i don't know if it's fully like you know fledged yet but there's security engineers out there we hear that term you know here and there uh through the different you know companies i've worked at it, it they exist but i personally don't fully know what exactly it entails like what the what what does a like a security engineer do for a company that has a web app i guess oftentimes they they do a lot of work that tries to basically expose you know security issues within your web application uh, there's a lot of tools out there specifically for like trying to hack into like you know servers or uh, find exploits with on your like your HTTP servers, they can do like port scans if they know like your IP address, um, uh, and there are even like OSs specifically for this type of work. Like Kali Linux is like a very popular one. Interesting, uh, and it provides a lot of you know kind of like tooling around uh, basically the work that security engineers do. I think security engineers they do a lot of they're just trying to break into your stuff all the time, but <laughs> in a legal way. Right. Um, yeah, it's like it's like a white hat hacker. <laughs> I'm, I've already drawn a picture of what that looks like in my head. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's honestly, that's all the fault of like, you know, TV and movies and everything. What we have when we talk about these like security engineers or like these white hat hackers out there. 
they definitely realistically from the from the different ones I've kind of met throughout my career, they they're not like that. They're not like the ones like living in a dark room, just staring at like a screen with like loads of you know green code on black screen, right? I feel like that's kind of what most people picture, but in reality, I don't, I I really don't think the <laughs> Uh, to describe them like that as a you know as a person as a character personality is definitely not true. Yeah, I think like one personality trait that I've seen like security engineers is they are probably some of the most meticulous people I've ever met. Mm -hmm. um, they also are like huge puzzle nerds because a lot of their job is there's no immediate solution, um, and they're basically just trying to solve a puzzle. They're like saying like how do I uh, oftentimes, like the strategies that they use, they can be reproducible to some degree, but I think a lot of the cases they are somewhat unique and they're just trying to find like a clever way to, you know, break into your system. And then hopefully they, they'll write a report about it afterwards and then some engineer can patch it up after. I feel like that's their, that's their golden nugget at the end is if they actually come up with something and be like, ha, managed to get into that. It's like the most satisfying thing they could do. All right, that's pretty cool just because of the fact that how we wrapped up, uh, you know, uh, the web apps bit to it. Uh, that's one of the platforms that we got for uh, for the available apps out there. The two different other ones, sorry, there's many different other ones that we have mobile apps and we have like desktop as uh, sorry, de desktop apps as well. Um, but we could fairly say that the uh, the roles within the platform, so a front end mobile apps and a back end mobile apps, has quite a lot of blurred lines and they kind of overlap each other. So if we just break that down really quickly in terms of like now that we jump into the mobile apps world specifically, um, one of the easier ways to categorize them is that they'll be saying, oh, I'm an iOS engineer or I'm a Android engineer. So I think it's a lot easier for them to go through that approach to describe what they do. Um, but yeah, if we, if we just do a quick brief through in terms of like, what are the responsibilities of an iOS engineer? Uh, what are they? And does that also include like front end and back end as well? Yeah, I think they're just a normal full stack engineer, but then the languages and frameworks that they use are more oriented towards uh, like iOS or Android because um, there, uh, there typically is some backend like logic inside a mobile application, especially if it's not one that's uh, that requires like an internet connection. So yeah, that's actually a use case that I haven't even thought about of is that some of these apps kind of rely, the reliability of these apps needs to be quite consistent, right? Without uh, the internet connection that you were mentioning. And then when I was talking about, uh, sorry, when you were mentioning the different technologies to begin with. So if we take an iOS engineer, they don't fully write in, I guess, like Java, or they don't fully write in uh, Scala, or they don't fully write in some of these different technologies. Um, I think for 2020, when we talk about the technologies for an iOS engineer, it's fair to assume that they're on Swift, uh, Swift is probably the the example that probably standardized across the whole uh, industry of iOS apps. Um, but not to say that there's other ones like Objective C. I think is the other one that has been mentioned when we talk about building iOS apps. So that's kind of quite a you know another prominent one. I was gonna say like, is that the only trend, or is there another trend of technology that people use in iOS development nowadays? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, cross-platform uh, like mobile frameworks you can use. There's like uh, React Native, which is a pretty popular one. There's uh, Xamarin from uh, I think Microsoft acquired, and that's pretty big as well. And uh, you use the word cross-platform. That means that 
they're able to write that code, that program that runs on multiple platforms, including web browsers and mobile apps, right? Mm -hmm. That's actually a really good concept because I think the example I've listed, Swift and Objective-C, they mostly only run on the iOS platform or do they also run on different platforms as well? I think Objective-C and Swift are used for Mac OS development too. Basically like the entire suite of like Apple devices. That's actually really interesting. Um, it's just me <laughs> being dumb and like not knowing this to begin with. So that's actually really cool then. So that, that set of technologies, I guess, is a very fair thing to say that most iOS engineers use. Um, in terms of like personality, I want to get into that because uh, the, the iOS engineers that I've met before, um, I feel like there's some kind of uh, excitement and anticipation just because they get to directly work with Apple. I just want to put it out there is that the the new stuff that they put in, a lot of stuff is like hardware, but also a combination of software as well at the end of the day. I feel like being an iOS engineer, you got so much to look forward to, so much more to look forward to, as opposed to, you know, for example, like a front end engineer, you have technologies, React has been existing for the past four or five years. I don't think there's going to be another king to come in there to overlap it. And like, what's the next excitement in React? I don't know. Like, there's not as much anticipation. As opposed to like, if you talk to an iOS engineer, there's always something that they could bring up that's coming out, and I was like, "Oh, yo, we could, we're gonna be able to do this, uh, and this is gonna be displayed on the the watch is gonna be absolutely sick." Um, that's my impression of like you know talking to iOS engineers. What is it kind of similar to for you guys or? Yeah, I think Apple does a really good job at fostering like um, kind of like a good developer community for their products, um, and it's just much easier for them because they have absolute control over the platform versus like I don't know like a front end engineer. Um, there is no one standard, I guess, for web browsers. I mean, uh, I think a lot of browsers use um, Chrome's rendering engine now. But then even adding more stuff onto that, like, say, adding adding functionality to JavaScript or things like that, there's not just one person that kind of dictates all of that. Yeah, I kind of I get that point. What do you think? What, what, how would you describe a uh, iOS engineer then? Well, I disagree with the assessment that like iOS always is coming up with new stuff, like as opposed to like there's nothing happening in like, you know, like the web browser world. I think there are actually a lot of APIs like being built out. Maybe they're, you know, maybe Apple just does like a better job marketing their stuff like to the developer community. But like I think a couple of years ago, like the page visibility API came out. That's that's pretty useful. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Um, I definitely do understand that bit of. Uh, it depends. The excitement is for who, right? The mm. excitement is for the end user or the developer or whoever is you know working with with Apple to begin with. Uh, I could definitely see why. Um, for a end user's perspective, for a common even non tech people, that if you see direct results on like a on a phone or on a watch or you know something like that. That would be much more, uh, much more anticipation. As opposed to if somebody hears about a new technology, then that would be more catered to like an engineer at the end of the day. So, uh, I'm glad you brought up that point. Um, in terms of, like, just personality-wise, are they that different than like a web app? Do you think like mobile engineers are like more jovial than web apps engineer, or is there just no distinction and you really can't tell? I would say if there is a distinction, generally, if you're an iOS person, you should be pretty excited about like the Apple <laughs> Apple ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say, in terms of job responsibilities, they probably have like, uh, in terms of their communication with like various stakeholders, it's probably pretty similar to like a front end engineer. It's just on a different you know client. So 
like on the iOS client instead of like the web client. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And the obsession of like just the interaction of using your thumb instead of your mouse is probably the question that they'd be asking as, you know. As Maybe. There's also some pretty interesting like problems that you, that I think iOS engineers generally need to like account for when building out iOS applications, at least like the native ones, uh, not like if they're writing React native. Uh, like using the React Native framework, like there's a lot more memory optimization and making sure you're being very careful with the amount of resources um, when writing a lot of these apps. From what I found when I when I've worked with iOS engineers, like building out new applications. That's a great concern because there is no way that you could say a phone is much more powerful than an actual you know full blown laptop, right? Even though it's getting somewhat worriedly close. Uh, but yeah, that's the big concern that they probably have more parameters at their work at the end of the day. Um, we, we mentioned like iOS a lot, actually. Can we just throw a couple examples for the non-iOS? So you have Android engineers, you have, uh, you know, different kind of variation of OSs for different uh, Android devices as well. What kind of technologies you could associate those engineers to be working with? Um, I probably could kick one off, I guess. Kotlin is quite big for Android, uh, sorry, Android developers on mobile. Um, are there any other technologies that, that you know you, you hear quite often that they work with? Yeah, before Kotlin was like created by uh, JetBrains, uh, the company that created IntelliJ and like the, that suite of um, IDEs, the 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 primary language that people use to create Android applications was Java, um, and Java is a pretty popular language, so that you could probably. Uh, the skill set that you use to, you know, write Java anywhere else is probably a little bit more transferable to writing, you know, Java to create some kind of Android web app, mobile yeah. application. And I'm glad you brought that up as well, because we already mentioned Java in building, you know, even web apps as in like, you know, servers and all that. And this, when we, this concept of like cross-platform does apply with Java as a language that has been like, you know, historically there for a good amount of time as well. So it seems... I mean, the reason why people use it is because it's a it's a you know beneficial language to be using because you're able to provide services to mobile app developers as well as to you know web app developers to to focus on working at the end of the day. Um, you got any other good examples for Android development or like non Apple? Yeah, there's nothing else I can think of besides that. I mean, there probably are some other uh, mobile platforms that people pro that people write apps for. Like there are still the. Uh... There are still dumb phones that are pretty popular around the world, and there are apps for that. Yeah. But, um, I don't know enough about that world to kind of talk about it. I was going to say, I was just assuming that they probably, the, they have to write really low-level code for that to run onto a operating system that doesn't support many of the modern. Yeah. I think, like, well, Windows Mobile OS is dead now, but I think prior <laughs> <Right>. to that, <laughs> when they were still trying to, you know, gain market share, I think some of their, they had, like, an application ecosystem there as well. I believe it was in, you write it in C-sharp, but I, I'm not 100% confident just because you know C-sharp was widely adopted by Microsoft. That's probably my assumption. I was gonna say, um, that is a good example of C-sharp and the combination of .NET, I think, is a very prominent combination that Microsoft keeps on pushing. And uh, as far as I know, you couldn't even write web apps with that. So that stack, uh, I don't know what the current status for looking at nowadays, but I wouldn't be surprised if you're able to do a lot of cross-platform development for different devices using that combination of technology. So I definitely feel like that can be included into, you know, uh, the world of mobile, uh, just because somebody's going to correct me, but yeah, people are using it out there. Um, 
Yeah, so we have the web apps, we have the mobile apps, and I think this other like you know more standardized category or more interesting category that uh, that has happened is these socket apps built directly on people's machines that people install. So desktop apps, uh, TV apps, car apps, space rocket apps. Their developers, their software engineers do also have this kind of like distinction. So if you're a, I guess, front end developer for a desktop app, how, how would that distinguish between a front end developer for a mobile app, for example? Like what would be the responsibilities for a desktop app front end engineer? Yeah, I think it's only a difference in uh, technology. I mean, it kind of depends on uh, what the scope of the engineer's work is. If they define a lot of the specing, then they'll need to know like how to best uh, like optimize the UX for like a uh, mouse versus like using your fingers. But but if they if, if if they don't have to worry about that spec, then yeah, I, I would say it's just the same without. Uh, it, it's just the same on a different platform. Cool. And when we're talking about the characteristic of like even just having a nine, make sure that. Uh, instead of displaying it in a browser, displaying it in, um, you know, if you're downloading Discord, if you download Spotify on your computer, not the web application, but the actual thing, they're the front end of those kind of applications also have to focus. Uh, you know, they're, they have their own constraints. I feel like there's a bit more freedom because they've actually installed the whole, um, I guess, package onto your computer and, you know, they have more control over it. Is that how you see that uh, stand where they have a bit more freedom as a front end engineer? On a desktop app as opposed to uh, a front engineer on a web app what do you mean by freedom as in like you know how um in a browser you you have like the toolbar always has to be there and then like uh the search function if you go on, on chrome there's a command f and like that's the only way of doing search as opposed to if you're a native app developer that builds like its own standalone app on on mac os for example you could put whatever search bar wherever you want if you know what i mean you can put a search bar where you want on a web application too, right? Like we have, we have other search bars. Like I'm sure you've implemented a search bar before. Uh, you know, like right. if you have a table and you need to search something in there, and maybe it doesn't render everything immediately, you got a search bar. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, I I I actually, if I was to sit, like compare desktop applications to web applications, though. Uh, I actually think the ecosystem might be a little less developed. I do know it's growing and people are kind of tired of creating like desktop specific applications. So now there are a lot more cross-platform technologies to produce, you know, desktop applications with a very, very similar code base as to what you would use to deploy like a web application. But um, yeah, uh, I think I don't know if there's more freedom to one or the other, though. Yeah. Maybe in terms of like native technology choices, uh, I think desktop applications might be a bit more restrictive, but just because, you know, that that one isn't developed as much. Um, that makes sense. Um, yeah, maybe the way I was looking at it was uh, maybe more of a tunnel vision. Of course, you can have more like search bars <laughs> onto your app if you wanted to. Uh, mm -hmm. But then you'll have duplicated ones. You have the one from the browser, and then you have the one on your uh, actual web app. As opposed to if you have your native app, you can only have one, and that handles everything. Maybe that's the way I was looking at it. But we can always nitpick in terms of like what freedom is exactly for a front-end engineer. Mm -hmm. um, another, I guess, the I'm, I'm a very visual person. I think about these kind of different features that, like, I don't know if you guys ever use GIMP. It's this uh, photo editing tool that you download on your computer that you use. 
And if you open it, you notice that there's a middle panel, the middle screen that has the actual photos. But then they have two separate screens that has like all the different tools that you have doing that. I feel like that's the kind of freedom I was talking about in terms of like you basically have a combination of different three windows if you want for your app. As opposed to for a browser, for a single web app, it's really hard to control these stuff that are outside of the browser, browser's capability. The, to replicate it, obviously, you could build just more pages on a web app to mimic the effect. But that was kind of like the freedom I was talking about. That like, If you have fully native control on the application on your machine, then you could just do whatever you want. <laughs> you could do six windows that all work seamlessly together. That could be a thing. Um, mm. But yeah, we talk about a lot of uh, these native app stuff, these desktop apps. One of the technologies that I've seen recently, it's called Electron. And that is a very, I guess, like, use words when people talk about cross-platform because, uh, I mean, on the webpage, the marketing stuff is that, hey, look, WhatsApp is, ba like, the WhatsApp native app on computers is built on Electron. Um, what do you guys think of it? I don't know if you guys heard of Electron before. Do you, do you guys like it? Do you feel like it's a good push for, you know, the engineering world? It's incredible. Like, the value it brings to a company is just insane because like uh, the way you build an Electron app is identical to what you would do for a normal like uh, web application. So like you'd save so much time that you can share, you can reuse so much of the code base. You don't need like a dedicated like uh, engineer who works on Windows and one who works on Mac. You can just have like one team push out uh, applications for basically Windows, Mac and Linux. And who doesn't hate reusing code right sorry who doesn't yeah. like reusing code? <laughs> i was yeah. gonna say yeah from a business perspective like you'd save a bunch of money in terms of engineering hours i think there have like some of the cons that have been brought up with like electron is basically that it's it's just a chrome instance and uh it's actually somewhat heavyweight at least relative to if you were to build a like a desktop a native desktop application like from scratch because uh, it has a lot of stuff that you might not necessarily use. But again, in terms of like the engineering hours that you would need to maintain like a distinct web application from a desktop application on multiple multiple OSs, like the, the value there is just, it's extreme. Um, and I do think like with this trend, like the WebAssembly kind of follows this trend line where maybe you have like one thing that could actually be deployed across multiple platforms uh, and uh, I think like people are embracing this idea a lot more and WebAssembly kind of takes this idea and says well let's take this idea and make it even more performant or as performant as we can and maybe one day we won't have all these distinct iOS applications you know Android applications desktop applications you just kind of build it once and it can really run anywhere yeah yeah and just to follow up on that point do you think people who work with a multi-platform, cross-platform technology are happier or less happier. I'm bringing the question up because there are cases where one solution will not, like, yeah, I'm, I imagine I'm developing on Electron, and then there's this random bug that only shows up on Android. Would they not be, like, slightly upset whenever that happens? I feel like that would happen quite commonly for, you know, somebody who deals with multi-platform. So my general question would be, is it fair to assume a multi platform engineer is less happy than somebody who just focuses on whatever a web app for example so so they would be working on all these all these application variations of the application so they maintain the desktop application and the mobile application yeah is that not how electron works where you build one copy of it and then you could just deploy it to any platform that you want uh 
maybe not to mobile applications, but at least for desktop applications, the, the code can be shared with traditionally what you would write for like a web application. Okay, so oh, so it's fair to say that the community behind it actually really irons out and like, you know, uh, rough, like make sure that the, the corners are like, you know, not too, not too sharp so that people don't get into cases where they have to debug specifically for desktop, but they don't have to debug for web apps at the end of the day. So yeah, I think the initial statement of like comparing the happiness between a electron engineer versus a web app engineer is probably like, you know, very subjective at the end of the day. So we'll forget about that one. <laughs> but yeah, I think um, just to wrap up the uh, the last category is some of these kind of engineers are, I'd call it like platform agnostic, right? So one of the examples I want to bring up is academic engineers, the the researchers, the, you know, the uh, the people that are trying to figure out whatever, better algorithms or not. What kind of engineers they are? I just want to have a picture of like, some of you went to university slash, you know, different programs to meet these kind of academic uh, engineers. What do they look like? What kind of people are they? Um, oftentimes, like uh, people in academia, they might be a little more theory based than people out in the actual industry. But in terms of like the stuff that they work on, I think they run into like a very similar situation. Like what kind of skills do you need to actually, you know, uh, you might primarily be working on like a database or something. If you want to like write a new database that could be used in industry, that's like a lot more performant in certain scenarios, then you probably need to work with like a systems language and maybe you're considered more uh, of like a back-end type engineer, but I don't know. There's a large variation of types of people out there. I'm sure there are also academics also working on maybe new front-end frameworks as well. And I kind of do uh, reflect the sentiment of what you were saying just because uh, from what I've seen is, you know, a lot of these, uh, for example, database, like if you take Postgres, for example, I feel like the concept behind that was developed in an academic setting. I don't know if it's fully true, but um, it's we have a lot of technologies available nowadays that a lot of current engineers use coming out of a research group or like an academic engineer group that have tested these different algorithms to make it more performant at the end of the day. So whether it be theoretical uh, or not, or they've actually started implementing the the whole you know technology themselves, that's the kind of mindset that I have for when we talk about academic engineers, um, just because that's the few examples I could think of whenever, uh, whenever that happened at the end of the day. So uh, yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to those guys because they, you know, you don't always associate them with like, oh, they're not mobile apps developers, they're not uh, web developers, they're not socket app developers. They're more in the category of being, uh, I guess, they're software engineers, but for different purposes at the end. Um, yeah. After mentioning that though, just to, I guess, to, to close everything off, I think one of the really interesting questions that uh, kind of reflect your own personal experience is, um, did you choose your software engineering path? As in, if you, if you look at what you're doing today, is that, is that something that you've chosen to do that you've fully decided that, oh yeah, I'm going to commit my life to being a web developer? Um, I mean, to answer this question, I can answer this for myself, actually, is that a lot of the, the roles and responsibility that I've you know, done in the past couple of years wasn't always the intent. There was always, never always a moment where I was like, I'm going to be the best React developer out there, if that makes any sense. I didn't really choose this path. I think it's the discovery as I, you know, started working in the industry that uh, there's stuff that you tend to like more the, than the other, and then the path kind of finds you. So I think that's my approach to, uh, to I guess, how I consider what kind of engineer is out that being a nowadays, I guess, full stack, but with the emphasis on having an eye for, you know, the front end bit, the user experience, uh, user experience and design, that kind of chose me at the end of the day. 
Um, and I'd love to hear, you know, for you guys. So I guess, Andy, like, did you choose your self-engineering path or did, I guess, the path chose you? Yeah, I mean, I uh, definitely chose the path just based on um, how I got there in the first place. Like, I have a non-traditional background where I came from a boot camp and there are not too many different paths there. I think the only uh, path that is uh, somewhat successful is just doing web development, so. That's always fun. And for you, Stan? Yeah, I chose to kind of pivot from mechanical engineering into software engineering. Um, so I made that decision. I didn't know what I wanted to specialize in or what kind of stuff I was interested in until like I kind of started working and discovered new specialties. And at that point, I definitely gravitated a bit more towards like backend type system problems. Um, yeah, so it's a bit of a mix, you know, I chose some parts and then I kind of discovered some stuff and then maybe I chose a bit more. <laughs> maybe that'll continue. I'll discover some more stuff and maybe I'll change my mind again in the future. That's actually great. It's a really good description of just, you know, how life is that like you get to make some decisions, sorry, but at the same time, there's some decisions that were made kind of for you and then you just kind of embrace it and, you know, you know, but a happier spot at the end. Well, I mean, that's the end of the episode. Um, and I'll definitely catch you guys on the next one.